1: Okay. Hazara, we should be in sync. We're yep. flying. I'll be Timberlake. Oh, God.
2: Please don't be Timberlake. No. <laughs> I, just, I love
1: I don't him. have anyone else in in <laughs> sync, so it <laughs> 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 terrible joke. <laughs>
0: Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And again by Maya Brooker. Good evening. Who we didn't put off last week with all our space porn, so she has come back.
2: <laughs> I quite enjoyed that.
0: Or Owen booked her on because this is a women's special and we need a women's on it.
1: That Yeah, yeah positive discrimination this week. Like a yeah. token. <laughs> the, the
0: token woman
1: who can... Tell us to stop being so misogynistic and dominating a patriarchal society of podcasts as we are. I
0: still Uh, won't bloody listen.
2: No, No. I'll I'll shrink it down to shut the fuck up.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that'll do. Um, But yes, we are going to quiz first um, and I am winning 1-0. So Owen has tried to come up the most convoluted way possible for me to lose.
1: Ah, yes, I have. And he will fail. I said on Twitter beforehand, I have emailed the rules across to you for this quiz, because it is, I don't think it's complicated, but it needs a bit of explanation. The way it works is that essentially you start on two points each, and your idea is to get as close to zero points by the end of the quiz as you can possibly be. Right. So you start with two points, you've got multiple choice questions uh, for each right answer, that you give. So each each answer that's correct, I'm going to add one to your total points. For each answer that's incorrect, that's wrong, I'm going to minus one point from your total points. Okay? So you can go to minus numbers. So you could go all the way down by the end of the quiz. There's 10 questions. You could effectively be on minus 7 by the end of the quiz. Right? Um but or minus 8 I should say. But You um, could also end up on 12 points, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yes. You cannot pass on any question. You have to give an answer. And just to make things just a little bit more convoluted, there are maybe one or more trick questions in the set of questions that I've got. So if you correctly identify a trick question, which is where there is no correct answer available, then you go two points closer to zero from whatever position you are. Uh, if you guess a trick question when it's not actually a trick question, you go two points further away from zero. What,
0: ha- what happens in that case if you're on one or minus one?
1: Well, if you're on minus one and you claim trick question when it's not a trick question, you go to minus three. So you go two points further away. No, if, if
0: you get that right, you said you go up you go to two, two points, points closer, closer. So if you're a minus
1: one, you'll go to uh, zero, straight to zero.
0: Right, trying to, trying to catch you out on your rules already. No,
1: I've thought it through. <laughs> I've tested. I've literally tested it out already, so it should work. The only other thing that happens is if you don't identify a trick question, then you move uh, one point further away from zero. That's that's the rules. Hopefully, quite straightforward. I think it's clear. You start on two points. Right answer moves you closer. Wrong answer... No, right answer adds one to your score. <laughs> wrong answer is one.
0: And if you don't get the crystal in the allotted time, you're locked in the room. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You've got it. Yeah. Um, okay. Right. So, it's multiple choice, as I say. First question. And you both get the same questions and you can decide which one you want to go for. Um, according to... Oh, I should also say... This is all based on statistics that I've gathered personally. Like, I had an a, um, assignment to do at university which involved gathering statistics and turning it into stories and stuff. I've taken all of this information from the Box Office Mojo Top 100 Highest Grossing Films List. So, with that in mind, according to statistics on Box Office Mojo, which of the following franchises has more films in the top 100 highest-grossing films of all time in the US. Is it Shrek? Is it Despicable Me? Or is it X-Men? And Steve, you can guess first. So if you give a correct answer, you go to three points. An incorrect answer will take you down to one point.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to say Despicable Me. You're
1: going to say Despicable Me? Okay. And Maya?
2: Um, I think I'm going to go with... Shrek.
1: Okay. I can tell you the correct answer is Shrek with three films, which means Maya got it correct, but is now up to three points. And Steve is onto one point. See how it works? It's quite yeah. clear. Excellent. So, how many of the top 100 highest grossing films in the US were released in 3D? Is it 55? 45 or 35 and uh, Steve as you're still in front you can go first again
0: I'm gonna say 55
1: I'm gonna say 55 okay and Maya you can guess the same answer if you wanted to um
2: 45 I'll go with
1: the correct answer was 35 so you've both dropped a point which means Steve is now on zero points Steve is closest to zero in effect um and Maya is of course down to two points Assuming profit to be the film's domestic gross minus its budget, right? Which film only made 9.4 million dollars profit, but is also the highest in the top 100 highest-grossing films of all time? Is it *Man of Steel*, *Pirates of the Caribbean: At World's End*, or *The Amazing Spider-Man*? And Steve, you're still ahead, so it's up to you to pick. I would say. Mm. It doesn't matter whether you get it right or wrong. You're gonna move a point either way on this one, unless mm. you think it's a, to- a trick question.
0: I would say this is a trick question.
1: You're gonna say it's
0: a trick question. I reckon it's a trick question. How many trick questions are in the whole?
1: I'm not
2: telling you. Thing? I'm right. not telling
0: you. Mm. I reckon this is a trick question.
2: Okay, and Maya, um, I'm gonna go with Man of Steel.
1: Man of Steel. I can tell you the correct answer was Pirates of the Caribbean. It wasn't a trick question, Steve. So now you have shot behind. You are on either... Would you want two points or minus two points? I'll let you choose. Um, Wait, then why does he
2: get a choice?
1: Because he's on zero. So he goes Uh, two points further away, whichever direction he likes. So if you think you can get them correct or incorrect. I'll have two points. Two points. Okay, so Maya, you're on to one point and you are now ahead Excellent. and just to clarify on that pirates of the caribbean the lowest by far in terms of profit made at 9.4 million dollars you know considering it grossed over like 300 billion at uh, 300 billion 300 million i should say <laughs> yeah 300 million um yeah it's t- it's a tiny amount just a tiny amount right judging solely by the number of films in the top 100 list which month has been the most lucrative In terms of domestic growth from 1975 to present? Is it May, June, or December? And Maya, you are currently in the lead. So which one do you think or not think?
2: So I need to guess a wrong number.
1: You need to guess a wrong answer for this one. Okay. Unless you think it's a trick question.
2: No, I don't think it's a trick question. Um, Mm. I'm going to go with December.
1: Okay. And Steve? Is this US? Yeah, US only, US... Yeah,
2: that's it.
0: I'd reckon reckon December as well.
1: You reckon December as well. Mm. So, is that... Okay. Well, you're both wrong. (laughs) So, you get minus one off each of your scores, which means Maya is now on zero and Steve is on one. The tide has shifted. Uh, May is the most... um, Is the best month to release a movie, basically. So... Um, So as we know, May is the most profitable month, but which film in the top 100 list grossed the most domestically of these three? Was it The Matrix? Was it Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or was it Back to the Future? And Maya, you are still in the lead.
2: Um, I'm going to go with Matrix.
0: And Steve? I am also going to say The Matrix. You're going to say The
1: Matrix as well. Well, I can tell you it was a trick question. None of those were actually in the top 100. So you both move a point further away, which means Steve is up to two. And Maya, do you want to go to uh, minus one or up to one?
2: Up to one, please.
1: Up to one. Okay, no one's down to minus figures yet. Right, across all of the 100 films on the list, what is the average... IMDb rating for these films. And by average, I mean the mean value. Is it 6.4, 6.9, or 7.4? And it's still you, Maya, who is closest to zero.
2: I'm going to go with
0: 7.4. Okay. And Steve? I'm going to go with 6.9. And the answer
1: was 7.4. so, Maya's up to two, and Steve is down to one. And, uh, yes, yeah, shifting again. The, at the exact figure was 7.442, um, just in case you were wondering. So, which of the three films on the top 100 list, or which of these three films, I should say, is closest to the 7.4 IMDb rating? Is it... Finding Dory, is it Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets or is it Avengers Age of Ultron? And Steve, you are now in the lead. Finding Dory. Okay. And Maya?
2: I'm going to go with Age of Ultron.
1: Well, it was another trick question because they are all 7.4 exactly on IMDb. There was not one that was the closest. So plus one to both of you on that that question. Both Titanic and Lord of the Rings Return of the King won 11 Oscars each. However, which of the following three received the most Oscar nominations? Was it Gravity? Was it Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring? Or Avatar? So, Steve, you're
0: ahead. I am going to say... Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring.
1: Okay. And Maya, Gravity, Fellowship of the Ring or Avatar?
2: I think the same, Fellowship of the Ring.
1: Well, I can tell you that Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring is the correct answer. (laughs) So you've both gone up a point, which means Steve is on three and Maya is on four going into the final question. Uh, It's all to play for. And I do have a tie break, Steve, before you say anything. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I only say it out of of past failures. Yeah. (laughs) Right. George
1: Lucas is the top grossing film director of all time, uh, with his movies in the top 100 list alone grossing a total of over $1.6 billion. But only one of the following directors is also in that top 10 alongside George. Who is it? Is it James Gunn, is it Sam Raimi, or is it Colin Trevorrow? And Steve, you get to answer first.
0: I think Sam Raimi.
1: Okay. And Maya? So remember, you're guessing for the the one you don't think grossed. I'm going to go with a
2: trick question.
1: You're going to go with trick question.
2: <laughs> yeah, I may as well.
1: <laughs> OK, well, um, it's not a trick question, <sighs> which means you get plus two points to your score. Oh, bollocks. And you're on six. And Steve is on four. He also gets plus one because the answer was Sam Raimi. He's ninth on the list He for, for Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3. There you go. James Gunn is 17th. And Colin Trevorrow is 18th. So, final scores. Steve is four. Maya is six. Which means Steve wins this quiz. Ha ha. Ha ha, yes.
0: What convoluted rules are you going to come up with next week for me to try and lose? Because if I win next week, you're watching something crap. <laughs> <laughs> what will you do? Yeah. If, depend- if people
1: dis- really dislike that quiz... I won't do it next Tough week. Tough luck. Yeah, but otherwise I might use it again next week because I quite like how that works. I might repeat Yeah, that.
0: Well, I'd, I'd try and find something that I'm going to lose at. Mate, <laughs> is, um, I'm going to find something awful for you to watch.
1: I've already told you, haven't I? I've, I've found five films that are all lined up one after the other that I'm going to make you watch when I next win five quizzes. Mm.
0: <laughs> all I need to do is find out who gave you that idea find out what they suggested to make you watch them
1: it wasn't a suggestion from anyone you'll find on twitter or facebook or anywhere else online Mm.
0: well there we go anyway so that's the quiz that i'm winning 2-0 going into next week um one bit of news that we would like to touch on and that is today monday the day of recording peter Salis sadly passed away He, If you don't know his name, uh, he is most famous for being uh, in Last of the Summer Wine, the the famous British sitcom uh, for those foreign listeners that we have. But also he was most well known, especially in his later years, uh, for being the voice of Wallace in the popular claymation Wallace and Gromit. Um, I think partly it's to pay tribute to him in, in that role. This, this bit of news, this news item, and partly to pay tribute to Wallace and Gromit, but I think it's something that we've actually overlooked on this podcast in the in the five years or whatever we've been going, we've never really spoken about it. Yeah, it seems it seems a bit
1: strange, I guess, when we're starting our women's special podcast to, in the, Oh God, that sounds terribly patronising. That's not what I mean. But because <laughs> like, we're a, doing Wonder a, Woman, if a
0: woman had died today. It was worth talking about. We would have spoke about them, but none of them did. They all had the good grace to keep living. But
1: it's not... Wallace and Gromit is not particularly known for its female characters, is it? You know, it's <laughs> it's written by a bloke. It's bit a better quirky bloke and his dog.
0: Who's a boy dog. No, boy dog. True. We assume. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's true. Gromit could be a, a bitch. We don't know. I- I don't think I don't think
0: Gromit is a female. No, I, I think, don't think so. I think
1: Gromit's a he as well. But, yeah. Um, maybe that's just you know society placing a gender on Gromit, and Gromit is actually no. Anyway, let's not go there. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> but um, yeah, but uh, yeah, you you're right. It's it is something that we've never really talked about in great detail. Um, I guess for all, each of us, it's something we remember from when we were younger. Yeah. Well, I
0: brought this up at, when we were talking before we started recording, and um, what was it? A Grand Day Out is mm. it was first aired on television Christmas Eve, nineteen ninety. Crazy, isn't so it? It, make, it makes it like, yeah, a lot older than what I thought. Like over twenty five years old is Wallace and Gromit, and I just didn't think it was as old as that. It's
2: amazing, mm.
0: but it's it's so all of all of the the Wallace and Gromit. So we've had the Grand Day Out. Uh, the wrong trousers a close shave um, cracking contraptions the the feature length movie curse of the were rabbit and I'm sure there's been some other bits and pieces as well um, that that he's voiced Wallace in they've all just been really they're they're charming they're funny they're they're incredibly well made because the art of claymation movie making is just phenomenally painstakingly Mm. difficult Mm. and time consuming Um, they're brilliantly voiced I mean Even though Gromit doesn't say anything, it just says everything with a look.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's just just fantastic. And I I can't believe it's something we've actually overlooked um, for so long on this podcast.
2: I think it's timeless too. Yeah, there's no... Generation after generation of people can really, really enjoy it it and it still be really funny.
0: It's very British, isn't it? Yes. I believe it's popular around the globe.
1: In the way that I think a lot of these very British things are, because they're kind of kitsch yeah. and, you know, it's, it appeals, a little quirky,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, something like The Wrong Trousers with that evil penguin is just, just fantastic. But then, like,
1: Aardman have built up a global reputation anyway you know stuff like the pirates in an adventurous scientist was really popular well, I I've not, I've not
0: seen that but no, that's, I don't think I have. that's apparently really good as well It's
1: okay I mean I kind of I kind of like it it's not up to Wallace and Gromit uh, no but you know but we were talking as well about Shaun the Sheep um which is another one that was really uh popular almost everywhere you know Yeah, yeah. It's got, I think it's got like 99% on Rotten Tomatoes so. It is
2: brilliant. And
0: didn't didn't Aardman also do that the creature comforts thing, which they is just did. like A little, <gasps> yes, they yeah. did, didn't they? But yeah, I've, obviously we're talking about Peter Salas and Wallace and Gromit because I don't think any of us know too much about Last of the Summer Wine other than its <laughs> no. other than its popularity and the fact that it, it ran for nearly thirty years.
1: Yeah, wasn't it like the longest running British sitcom or something like that?
0: Yeah, I'm not quite sure if it stopped being a regular thing and went to specials after a while, but mm, mm. it ran from 73 to 2010. So, um, And he was apparently, from what I heard on a radio interview earlier today, he was the only person in every single episode.
1: Which is some feat, isn't it? That is, yeah. Yes, yeah.
0: it's incredible. But yeah, just going back to it, he, he is iconic for that voice of Wallace. Yeah, You just associate with him straight away. And if someone says Wallace, and you can hear his sort of, like you can hear that voice in your head straight away and when you think about that who else could do who who else could voice that character and make it sound just right
1: well i was thinking about that but it, he's got one of those voices that's so impressionable you know impersonable people can yeah you know i don't know alistair McGowan or someone like that could do it you know anyone who's really good at impersonating that voice yeah could because it's so it's one of those that you know, impressionists just roll out all the time, isn't it? You know, they're all yeah. grommet and then that kind of. Obviously, I'm not going to do it because I'm terrible at impersonations. I think you but should. I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so.
0: Go on, give us give us a cheese grommet or something like that. I don't. I don't do tricks, Steve. I don't. No. 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 Not like that. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I just. I think Wallace and Grommet's fantastic, and it's a shame that we might not even get any more now obviously it's more of a shame that he's passed away and thoughts got to his family and friends etc but, but you know the <laughs> no, fact that we not might not get this. the fact the fact we might not get any more now is is just a bit of a sad thing as well because it's so good
1: i know what you're thinking this isn't the usual failed critics jingle but i like it well it is, of course, the theme music to our fortnightly sister gaming podcast, Character Unlock, hosted by Andrew Brooker.
0: We might want to talk about some game stuff. Mate. <laughs>
2: And john miller i didn't enjoy episode one and i didn't enjoy the first minute and a half of episode two i just thought fuck it
1: and in their upcoming podcast they'll be previewing the e3 conference and then from the 11th of june you'll be getting the full 30 minute audio breakdown of each conference over the three days that's the latest from microsoft bethesda nintendo ea ubisoft and sony probably talking about games and that i assume Subscribe to the Failed Critics podcast feed on iTunes or whatever podcast app you choose or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Character Unlock. Now, on with the show.
0: In this part of the podcast, we're going to change things up slightly and review this week's major new release, Wonder Woman, the latest part of the DC Cinematic Universe, uh, starring uh, Gal Gadot. Gadot? Gadot? Gadot, I never know. the As the title character of Wonder Woman. Um, And it's uh, an origin story, really, isn't it? Um, We've seen her in um, Batman vs. Superman. um, (laughs) It's kind of, not a cameo, but a very secondary role. Um, But now she's got her own film, and she's very much uh, uh, front and centre in this one um, as we find out where she came from and her backstory. Yeah,
1: because there's a great... I watched Batman versus Superman again the other day. and um, poor, poor you. I, I still think it's fine. I still think it's okay. <laughs> but like, there's a bit at the end where Batman and Superman turn to each other when Wonder Woman shows up to fight Doomsday. Spoiler! And then um, they go both go, oh, I thought she was with you. Because she's just she just turns up in that film, and I think that's very much how she's, you know, it's very fitting because that's all she she is that that supporting character that's just plonked into the story for no reason really other than to set up Wonder Woman, and it is quite a cool moment when she turns up in um, Batman versus Superman, I think, and you know you get to hear a theme tune and which is quite quite funky the the Junkie XL thing. Um, And it's great, but this really is now the the film where you get all of the character out of it. You get to see, it is an origin story, um, but it's more than just telling you this is where she came from. You know, this is all about putting all of that character into her um, that was completely absent in the more flashy, showy-offy Batman versus Superman, which for me worked really well. I think everything to do with Diana Prince, um, to give her alias, it it actually works very well indeed. And I I, I know I'm saying like I'm struggling to praise it, but that's only because it's getting a l- so much praise. Like people absolutely fawning themselves over this, and I understand why. And I think it's. If people genuinely love it that much, then that's fantastic. That's great. And I'm really pleased that it's turning the tide on DC movies. And, you know, because I still still keep sticking up for them. And I think now Wonder Woman's probably the most well-crafted one yet. Although I still really prefer Man of Steel. But, you know, anyway, I'm going on. I'm waffling. I'm waffling. I, I did like Wonder Woman. What I want to ask you guys is, first of all, your opinion on the previous three DC extended universe movies. So that's Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, and Suicide Squad. I think uh, we heard you a couple of weeks ago talking about these, Steve. So yeah. Maya, what, what do you what do you think of the DC films thus far?
2: Um, I think they're all right, actually. I think they're average. I, I think my best one out of all of the three that you've mentioned um, is Suicide Squad, and that's purely on okay. the basis that it's just a lot of fun. Um, I liked. Batman vs Superman, more than some people. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a, you know, a good film. It was fun. Mm-hmm. And there were some serious flaws in it, but I still liked it. And just like you said about Wonder Woman turning up, um, I was very, very happy when she turned up in that. And as soon as her theme tune kind of went on, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Suddenly, Batman versus Superman felt a little bit like a better film. Um, Man of Steel, I still quite liked. I did like them all. I thought they were pretty good. Um yeah.
1: So, so Wonder Woman then for you, wh- where does it kind of sit in terms of you haven't got to rank it amongst the others, but I is loved it, it, it a good? Fun? You loved it, okay. I Um
2: yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun and it really did build her character and set so up. Yes, it was an origins film, so it did everything what I expected it to do. But I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I might be a, bit, a little bit biased because I love Wonder Woman she's my ultimate favorite superhero um especially in the dc world um but i thought it was really really good and gal gadot she's amazing absolutely just i think i'm a bit i'm a bit in love with her now i think <laughs> i
1: think i think it definitely did that on purpose not yeah. in a it, you know they they I, I i wrote a review of this and posted it online today and i, I think i Said some, I can't remember what, exactly what I said. Read the review, people. Go and read the review. But I said about like they made her into this like stunning woman. Yeah. Not in terms of hey guys, look at this. It was it was done very much intentionally as this is what a woman's idea of a heroic superwoman is.
0: Yes. And yeah. Well, I mean, what, for me, one of the most impressive things about the film was considering what she was wearing for the whole thing. There was no gratuitous art shots. Yeah.
1: Not a single upskirt shot.
0: Take uh, note, no. Zack Snyder. You yeah, know. which there was in Batman um, versus Batman Superman. Batman versus Superman. Yeah. And considering, like I said, her her outfit is pretty revealing to an extent. Yeah. I I don't know what amazonian warrior women would actually wear if they were real (laughs) if they would if and if that is practical battle dress i don't know i'm not an expert on these things but it would in some films as we've just said with ones that Zack snyder made it is quite easy Mm -hmm. to get it would be quite easy to get with what she's wearing in it a few R shots or crotch shots in there because you know even in a fight scene where you know and and they didn't and you know, no, they didn't oversexualise that. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. There was um she worked
1: the, the, the director, Patty Jenkins, uh, worked with a costume designer called Lindy Hemming, who is yeah. um she she worked on the Christopher Nolan Batman films as well. So she kind of had an idea about how, you know, superhero costumes should look and how they yeah. work on screen and stuff. Hmm. But they they Patty Jenkins and Lindy Hemming both got together and thought what can we do to make her look like an Amazon, like a proper badass? And they thought about the kind of things that they wanted to show off. Now, I think if you had a male director, um, and I know there was, you know, a lot of male influence on the film anyway in terms of um, the writers and, you know, the producers and and so on, but they they basically thought, well, we want to show off her ripped shoulders and toned legs, right? That's what they went
0: for. I I suppose because she's quite a a slight built woman, you've got to kind of make her look convincingly warrior-like. Yeah. Mm. So if if she has got toned shoulders and strong legs, you need to show them or show some aspects of her physicality to yeah, make exactly. it look like she's a convincing... Yeah. ...convincingly yeah. could stand up for herself in a fight.
1: Yeah, there was a quote from Jenkins. She says, As a woman... I want Wonder Woman to fight and look great at the same time. In my opinion, this means she has really long legs. So there's still, like, <laughs> there's still <laughs> some thought in there about well, what makes her look attractive and what makes her look um, desirable. But I don't think it's desirable in a, you know, I want to shag her kind yeah. of way. It's a, I want to emulate
0: that. I think. Yeah, I think is as well making her look convincingly like a fighter. They yeah. do
2: make her look powerful
0: if she's wearing like sleeves and trousers. You're not going to get that sense of yeah. if her you know if she's got any muscle definition or anything. If she's like, what well, she actually throw a punch. Look at how she's built. But this is like than... this
1: is interesting because like I don't know if you remember before uh, Batman versus Superman and they would they cast Gal Gadot as. Wonder Woman as Diana Prince, and there was a little bit of a backlash online saying, "Why have you attract? Why have you cast this like really quite skinny woman to play Wonder Woman?" You know, there was a lot of talk of like choosing. Well,
0: they, they want the bloody woman who played Xena?
1: <laughs> well, oh, that's yeah. kind of what they they've gone for in a way because Gal Gadot has kind of built herself up to look athletic. You know, yeah, she's, her physique in this is she's really well. They make her look really tall. She looks really, like, as Maya just said, she looks really powerful. I, I honestly think, in hindsight, those, those critics should probably... Shut the fuck up. Know, swallow their own words. Yeah, shut the fuck up because yeah. she's, she's really nailed it. You know, I think this one thing that DC have gotten right over these films is the casting. If you think of, like, the main stars, Henry Cavill, a lot of people doubted him as Superman. I actually think he turned out to be really good.
2: I really do like him, yeah.
1: Yeah, Ben Affleck as Batman. Do you remember the uproar about that? Yeah. People complained about Ben Affleck as Batman. And then, you know, so many reviewers afterwards claimed he was the best thing about the film. <laughs> Margot yeah. Robbie as Harley, Harley Quinn.
2: Quinn. yeah.
1: Fantastic I do, casting. I do
2: like the casting of this. I think she's brilliant. I think, yeah. you know, the power in her arms and leg is shown well. She's not overly sexualized. She looks powerful. And yet, at the same time, she looks feminine and... I honestly think she was brilliant, and I, yeah, you're right. The casting, I think they did a really good job, because yes, yeah. she is quite slim, and yes, they want her to look like an Amazon warrior, but that doesn't mean that she needs to be built like a, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, precisely. Brick yeah. Shit
2: house. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> she doesn't have to goes. be Arnie in a skirt. She's no, just exactly. Got, you
0: know, yeah, I mean there were there were a few Arnie's in a skirt. On, on the island with the Amazons. So uh, <laughs> yeah. More they were more stronger in... <laughs> built women than her back there. But
1: um, um yeah. You know, at the at the, the the same time, she is basically, you know, a goddess warrior. Yeah. So mm. uh, that's part of the, the character anyways that she's gonna yeah. yeah stand it. But
0: But I mean mm. it doesn't matter whether it's a male or female role in a in a lead role in a film of this ilk it's always going to be someone good-looking.
1: That is true. Oh, yeah. And they make a point of that with Chris Pine, right? Let's be honest.
0: It doesn't matter if it's a Marvel film, a DC film, um, a male superhero film, a female superhero film, your Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's an ensemble cast. The main roles aren't going to be going to, to ugly people, are they? Let's be honest. No. They, they are conventionally attractive. And it doesn't matter if they sexualise the character or not. Or get them in revealing clothes, or have the man with his top off for half the film, or not, or if he's you know fully clothed and in a bat suit for the whole film. It doesn't matter. They're always going to pick somebody who the audience will find physically uh, and aesthetically pleasing. Well, yeah.
1: the ultimate ultimate uh, example of that is always Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, isn't it? Meant to be a short, yeah. squat, hairy, ugly little man, and then they cast like beautiful Hugh Jackman. <laughs> so, yeah. He
2: he is yeah. beautiful, yes. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that one. Yeah, I, I, you, I, I think I do. Yeah, the casting's yeah. good and they have to be aesthetically pleasing and, exactly. and yeah. appealing to people. Otherwise, people are not going to watch it really.
1: And the other thing that works about her being, like, looking the way that she does in this film is she's in a very ugly world, you know? She's in, yeah. I mean, obviously Chris Poyne is there in whatever, but, <laughs> you know, she's in this horrible, war-torn... Uh, environment because the whole film takes place in w- the first world war the great war mm. uh, well almost the whole film does anyway you've got a bit at the beginning and at the end which are like the present day yeah. mm. and you've got a lot of it on Themyscira I can't remember how you pronounce the place the island, yeah. the, island. the island
0: from island. the island from last yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah the the Amazonian sort of paradise where all these women live before They're invaded. They meet the real world, and I think that works. It works really well to show this paradise, which is full of all these bright, vibrant colours, and it was it was a nice contrast. And I think part of the contrast again is like if you look at it in terms of the themes of the film, it's all this like uh, idyllic place where oh, you know, women are really independent and uh, they don't need men, and it's really nice and isn't it lovely and stuff. But actually, deep down underneath that is this like.
0: destructive chaotic force that's scary yeah, and no one can answer, open jam jars and
2: <laughs> change light bulbs
1: but what happens is she yeah. she goes into the world of men and that's when it's all this like oppressive uh visualization stuff going on Right, you know it goes all grim and dark and it goes like when she meets she goes to london and it's all just full of smoke and industrial yeah. stuff I think it, it, it's purposefully done that way to show she literally steps into the world of men, you know, or sails into it, I guess.
0: Mm. Um, they don't really make too much of any romantic relationship between Chris Pine's character, Steve Trevor, and, and Wonder Woman, either, do they? I mean, there's obviously something there, but it's not like they're pining, forgive the pun, um, yeah. and sort of chasing each other. There's no kind of... There is, there is one scene but there's no you know they're not yeah. but even, constantly chasing after each other and even that and, one
1: scene though is only if you if you see it as a romantic scene that's your choice to do that it's not even yeah. like a, like it, it's not actually shown as being
0: romantic it's no, just they, if you want you could, to see you, it that you, way
1: you, that's that's entirely you, fair you could look
0: at it as a, they're just good friends or they they're in a situation together where they respect each other's you know, exactly. Key, yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah what, as partners, and it's not they. obviously they're obviously friends at a minimum, mm-hmm. um, and and but they never kind of forced this this kind of romantic angle, which maybe you could say of other superheroes. Ant Man, he gets obviously is there some romantic thing with him and um, yeah, Evangeline Lilly's character. That's the kind of most obvious one I can think of on top of my head at the moment of recent superhero films. Um, I
1: think it it's quite interesting actually in terms of how people receive the Batman film and the you know Superman film and Suicide Squad um in terms of they they've always con- and it's understandable why but they're always compared to the Marvel films and I think if Wonder Woman does anything it highlights like in comparison to the Marvel films just how formulaic they are becoming or have been yeah. even you know but the the it, obviously you get exceptions which are slightly different. Guardians of the Galaxy two, I would say, doesn't really follow that conventional pattern. But Doctor Strange,
0: Ant Man, um, you know, a lot of the films they're releasing Marvel of, of recently um, have been. There's been quite a few origin stories, but they are they are very formulaic. Yeah. you know you're introduced to a character, you find out how they get their powers, they get into a situation, there's a bad guy, they beat them.
1: It's a rise and fall and then a rise again.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's the the way they all work. And
1: I don't think Wonder Woman necessarily does that either. It's all about a a journey, about sort of discovery. I think it's about um, identity as well. Um, And one of my my favourite things about it is, you know, obviously it uses love and it uses war quite a lot throughout the film to make lots of different points. But one of the best things about it, and it was like as you were watching it, you know i i am just i said in the review as well i'm just a 30 year old kind of working class guy from the midlands in the uk there's nothing really in this film that's directed to me specifically and i'm okay with that i think that's fine but even i was watching this and going yeah right on you tell them what to <laughs> you know where to go because a lot of the time she's told no you know yeah. lots of times lots of different people whether it's a mum in the early part of the film when she wants to be a warrior and her mom says no and then she does it anyway yeah. you get
0: all the british guys who say no and she just does it anyway but the thing is with most of this is that she's not being told no because she's a woman well she, i think she's she being, is i think that's part I of it i don't know cuz her mom's telling her no because she's she's like forged by zeus from clay and she's she yeah, wants she's to a, she's a weapon she? she's She's a she's a power. It's not because she's a woman; it's because she's powerful and she's. But got she this wants importance. to stop her
1: becoming powerful. Is the thing because she's her daughter? So it's about it's not about male particularly dominance. No, it's, about,
0: it's but, about you know in 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 the trenches they want to stop her going into no man's land because that's fucking stupid. Yeah, I mean, all right, yeah. she she she's a powerful being with special powers and weapons. She can survive it, but they don't really know that walking out into no man's land is a bit daft.
1: Yeah, obviously, but then there's all stuff so it's in not, like, it's the it's not because room.
0: don't go into no man's land because you're a woman. Don't go into no man's land because chances are you'll tread on a mine and blow yourself up.
1: But there's like in, in the war room, right? She's in the war room in London and she she walks in and they're like, she shouldn't be in here. Tell her to get out. And Chris Pine has to
2: say... Yeah, there's a few bits like that, aren't there? Grunt,
0: granted, but that's what society was like in 19 well 191980 whatever if if it was happening if it was set modern day and that was happening when yes that would be ridiculous um, but as it was set that, that's what the attitude was like you can't you can't overrule history to make it something it wasn't but
1: they've cho- they've chosen to put that in there for a reason you know they didn't have to include scenes like that and i think that the the point no. of the scene is diana is told no all the time and it doesn't matter but they did, whether they, it's but they, yeah, but they
0: needed a reason that she wasn't being listened to then. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's just yeah. to show that you know her strength of character is it doesn't. It, she's told not to do stuff, and it's almost always because people are scared. People are trying to cover other things. You know, David Thulis is great in this as um, uh, Sir Patrick, who yeah, is brilliant. constantly trying to manipulate her into. Doing what he wants, really, and I think that it's it's the fact that she sees through all of this. You know, she's told to get out of the room, so she walks backwards and then just walks back in again. You know, <laughs> it's like James Cosmo telling her, "Who is this woman? She can't read. She needs. She what? Who, what does she think she's doing? Reading this like Ottoman language thing? Just tell her, to, you know, get her out of here. It doesn't even talk to her yet. She stays.
2: I think for me that the character is you know, she's been told, no, it's not always because she's a woman. Um, but I think it helps develop her a little bit as well because it, it makes, you know, she's as an Amazon in the island. She's just, she's quite innocent. And then suddenly, you know, all these things are happening and it just opens up her eyes to the world that she stepped into
0: saying all this though, about how much we like the film. I, was, I still do think it was great. I think it was good. I think people might mm-hmm. think it's better than what it is because, A, it's the best that DC have put out yet, in my opinion, um, and probably many people's opinion. B, Gal Gadot was very good in it. And C, it's, it's, I think, it sends yeah. <laughs> out quite a positive message with regards to female role models and females taking lead roles in films, especially superhero films, because... Mm. As of yet, we've not seen a, a female-led superhero movie in, in either Marvel or DC or anything that, that Fox have done or uh, universe, anyone you know. It's been Fantastic Four, so it's been a co-lead or Guardians has been a co-lead or uh, you know, um, Scarlet Witch or Black Widow haven't got their own standalone movies yet and nothing in the pipeline. I think Captain Marvel is going to be a, a Marvel film with a female lead and that's going to be the first one. That's some years away yet. So they've either been uh, co-leads or secondary characters, and this is obviously a a female lead in a big superhero film front and centre, and it's giving out quite a positive message and has been done very well. It's been directed by women as well. So I think those things are leading some people to think the film is perhaps better than what it is, which is a bit of a negative thing to say, but you can say that about a lot of different things because things might be doing something might be doing the right things uh, in terms of the message they're putting across this is films in general about anything they're putting across the right message um, they they're putting uh, the right kinds of people in the right kinds of roles or being made by the right kind of people people then kind of if you were scoring the film would bump it up a mark if if they think it would've been ordinarily a 7 they might put it up to an 8 um and for me, that's kind uh, of... I, oh. I don't think it was a great film. It was a good film. It was enjoyable. I, I still wasn't totally gripped by it. Um,
1: it's all right, Steve. It's all right. You can stop squirming. We get <laughs> we know what you're getting at. I don't, I don't necessarily... I haven't seen anybody do that. Anyone I've, I've followed on Twitter uh, or anyone I've like checked Letterboxd on or, uh, or, or haven't really read any... Um, you know, major media source reviews or anything for it, but you know, all the the, the little things I've seen in the comments, I haven't seen anyone who I think has rated it higher because it's quite. Piecey. I don't think
0: they I don't think they're saying that they're rating it higher because of that, and maybe even consciously mm-hmm. they're not doing it. But I think perhaps there is a bit with some people that think, you know if you if you said to them this film was actually directed by a man, then they wouldn't actually be as positive about it. I genuinely think that, and this might sound completely wrong. It's not me disparaging the film. I didn't think it was a great film. I thought it was a good film. It's by far the best DC film. It's better than some of the Marvel films. But I, I wasn't you know, overly enthralled by it. I wasn't totally gripped by it, but I did enjoy it. I just think some people are perhaps overhyping it because of, of the message it's putting across and who's made it... Uh, the, the, the central character in it and who plays it and perhaps even how good she is in it despite the film not being that good or as good but she was brilliant in it
1: Um, I I don't I still don't know if that's true I mean I've certainly seen well Twitter's just like uh, you know the playground of fucking Nimkin poops but I've, I have seen people attacking other people for not being particularly complimentary about wonder woman i think there's there's probably an element of people being quite defensive about it for those reasons that you've pointed what, out yeah there is, there is that but as i don't well. think that necessarily means i don't think that necessarily means that those people who are doing that don't like the film as much as they are claiming to i just uh, i w- I'm, I'm much more comfortable in saying i've seen aggressively defensive um twat bags, (laughs) on (laughs) Twitter, more so than I've seen people inflating their opinion. Because even the people I know that have been very positive about it and have praised the film for various aspects, have still... I mean, I haven't seen many give it an absolute full-on four- or five-star kind of review. Mm. Most people have said, it's good, this is why it's good, but bear in mind, these are the issues, and they are still issues that have permeated through through most of the, the DC movies, which tends to be, it's just a bit uneven. And I don't think it's boring at any point. I'm not saying it's boring. I think the film is, it's got a lot of good pieces, set pieces there, you know. Yeah. There's, a, there's lots of, like, oomph and pizzazz. And, you know, the, the No Man's Land scene in particular is the standout set piece in the entire movie. But it still has the ultimate destruction, big CGI fight at the end, uh, as all DC movies seem to clamour towards, Mm -hmm. Um, despite constantly being told, just stop it, (laughs) just stop. It's that formula again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's this big, ever-long CGI fight that just... I mean, I get it. You've got a superhero. There's no way that they're going to sit down at the end of the film and just talk it out and then sign a bit of paper and say, I won't do that again. And they say, good, because you'll get in trouble. And they go, OK, I won't do it again. It has to end in this big, calamitous, chaotic uh, showdown. But there are other ways of doing that than big cgi gray kind of indistinguishable things being just smashing into each other throwing tanks at each other big flames going off all you know explosions all around them and have it having it last like 15 20 minutes at least in wonder woman it's turned down a bit the dial is down slightly but it's it's still that same problem yeah I mean, I was watching it thinking, you know, do you know what It'll be a cool ending for this? War movies don't end. You know, you watch old classic war movies, which is kind of, uh, is, in a way, you know, it's set during that period. It's a kind of combat movie. They don't all have massive explosions. They don't all end with war. They end with, like, a bit of an uplifting triumph.
2: Have um, either of you two seen the... Um, 1975 TV series of Wonder Woman with Linda Carter. No,
0: probably the odd episode Only or clip bit. or whatever. Yeah, but
2: yeah. I, I my this is where all my love for Wonder Woman kind of comes in because I remember watching on a Sunday afternoon watching reruns on the t- reruns. I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> on the TV, um, sitting down with family Sunday afternoon having. Having food and just watching it, and I absolutely loved Wonder Woman from that point. It was she was so powerful, and Gal Gadot just reminded me of the way Linda Carter did it. It was just absolutely, you know, there's a lot of power in there, there's a lot of strength. Mm. There's, um, you know, it, you just kind of almost sit in awe of the way they've done that. You know, they're like most superhero films. There's moments where I will always. You know, eye roll and go. Oh, that's just so <laughs> ridiculous. And but this one yeah. and the TV series as well. I, I absolutely loved it. It's just something that I always remember from my childhood with my family, and it's probably one of the reasons why I love Wonder Woman so much. Is because of the way Linda Carter was uh, was Wonder Woman and how Gal Gadot seems to have done it. Maybe mm. not in the same way, but in another. Another really, really kind of inspirational way, I think, for me.
1: That's quite yeah. I mean, that's that's because that's kind of like a perspective on it that I just don't think Steve and I can really have in the same way. I mean, we, in terms of superheroes, uh, well, that's sticking with sticking with Wonder Woman, my my main like history with Wonder Woman has only come through comic books, and I've never liked her solo comics i've only ever liked the stuff where she's with other superheroes i think mainly because the actually the new 52 stuff was quite good but that's the same writer the guy who wrote those that comic also wrote this film but anyway the the, the, the main issue i always had with the comic books is the art in it and it's all it it's always about looking you know as good as the stories are it's always about you are looking at You know, this woman in very tight clothes, you know, see every curve on her backside. You can see, you know, a a breast stick out a fucking mile in front of her. And I just think it's it's always just a bit sleazy. It's always just a little bit sleazy. And so I think what they did what they did really well in introducing Wonder Woman in this film, obviously you have her at the at the start. And she looks really glamorous and everything. but it goes to Wonder Woman as like an eight year old girl and the first thing you see is just a beaming smile as she's running down the street yeah I thought that was that's a really nice way to introduce this. you're doing an origin, but you're not doing the you know seventeen year old good looking but kind of you know barely legal sort of yeah avenue which is good i like that it was introduced with a little girl I, I think that it it just it sets the tone perfectly
2: yeah i absolutely i was grinning like an idiot when i when watching the bit where she's um mirroring the fighting i absolutely loved that because i just sat there thinking yeah she's awesome i want you know I'll, i hope i hope i was like that when i was little kill and you know i hope <laughs> nikita will be like that but and and i'm not saying that the 1970s show didn't Oversexualized Wonder Woman because it was the seventies, so it they probably did. It, yeah. um, she was a secretary and secretary. Yeah, and, um, well, she follow, It follows the same story as the the origins with um, Steve Trevor, and um, you know how he kind of comes across the Amazon island and everything. But yeah, um, yeah it, it, for me, and I think that's again, you know, it might be just because I'm a woman, but it is really, <laughs> really empowering. And just to go, well, yes, she's absolutely beautiful. Yes, there is an element of her being sexualized, but actually she'll kick anyone's ass if she needs to. And, and that was, that's what I found, what I loved about Wonder Woman, um, the film as well as the TV series, and, and the character themselves, you know. Mm. They're not, especially, you know, you see all the Amazons, they're not sitting there all being beautiful and bathing and all of that kind of stuff. They're, you know, you see them, you introduce them fighting, and training and being warriors and i i found that really really kind of powerful sure
1: Mm. i think it's very powerful imagery um yeah i think one okay so the other thing that i think lets it down a a little bit is in terms of the villains like because she's chasing Ares, the god of war and you're kind of left to go oh i wonder who Ares is but you kind of know who it is all along right i think it's Pretty obvious from the get go what's going on, but they make out that it um, that what's happening. Is she's chasing Ares. The Germans are the bad guys because they are corrupted by Ares, who's making them do bad things, right? And so she's chasing after Ares. Uh, after Ares, Steve Trevor suggests that Ares could be uh, Ludendorff, who is the German captain, uh, who's played by Danny Houston. And his chemist sidekick, Dr. Poison, which is Eleanor Ania. Um, Anaya, Anaya, The woman from The Skin I Live In, anyway. She, so like, they, it it just becomes a bit of a chase movie at that point. Um, Which I don't, I didn't really like him. I liked the idea of Dr. Poison, but I don't think they did anything particularly interesting with her. They could have done
2: something better with
1: her yeah there could have been a lot of mirroring going on between um, her kind of plight and, and Diana's mm. you know they're both these two women who th- in some way both being taken advantage of in
0: they, kind of perhaps could, have, world. perhaps could have got rid of Danny Houston's character and had her as the main not the well, yeah I mean, she seemed like of, the sidekick you know,
1: the, didn't she yeah she couldn't be though is the thing though right because it's, it's again it's all about it's, it's men who are in control is the sort of running theme through the film. Yeah. So she, I don't think she could, she couldn't be the main villain because within the kind of world of the film, she's not allowed to be. If you see, so I think it, it, they did what they had to do, but they, she was the more interesting character.
2: Yeah, maybe in a more modernized um, or modern time set. Yeah, the, yeah, possibly, film yeah. they could possibly do that, but in the time set that the film was. Um, in. But
1: I don't think it necessarily means the film's got nothing to say about oh, no. the modern world. I think it just means that, you're right, because of the the setting, then she was never going to be the captain. But, um, yeah. So, uh, one last point that I wanted to make, and I don't know if you, if you guys have got anything else that you wanted to add. I, I thought, whilst watching it, that some of the excessive death scenes, and I thought they were kind of excessive... Um, they just didn't sit particularly well with me, I think because it's based on a real war for a start, and it uses real people in it, you know lu Ludendorff himself is based on a real guy um I just thought it was a, a bit a little bit tasteless um, and I know that she's like a um effectively a soldier isn't this she's a warrior, so she has so Wonder Woman has to go around and stop the bad guys who she thinks are evil. Well, but considering she, like, talks about the value of life and clearly believes in it so strongly, to then just go around slaying all these German soldiers with a sword, I thought, it, I don't know, I don't know, that didn't didn't really feel right. We, did it bother any any of you, or is that just a me? Not thing?
2: really. I can see where you're coming from, but it didn't bother me.
1: No. No. Okay, fair enough. I mean <laughs>
0: just me. Yeah, perhaps if it was set World War Two rather than World War One, there's more of a a moral thing against the enemy in that, because neither, neither World War One or World War Two the, the Germans were particularly nice people, but in World War Two you also got Hitler and the Final Solution, the, the Nazis, Holocaust yeah. and Nazis. In World War One, from my limited understanding of history World War One just seemed to be a massive dick waving contest between all the powers of Europe, which really could yeah. have been avoided, especially as especially d- as all yeah. the royal families of Britain, Russia, and Germany were all bloody related anyway. It seems like a war that could have quite easily been avoided, and there, from what I know, Kaiser Wilhelm was pretty intent on going to war and and having this war. Yeah. Neither side were better or worse than each other because they all went to war for no real reason. Maybe if it's set in World War 2 there would be more of a moral thing about the enemy than there was in World War 1, but for no, for me it didn't really. No. It didn't really.
1: No. Okay. I thought because like she had that poignant scene with James Cosmo where he says, "Oh well, we'll just soldiers die. That's what they do." And she was furious with him for saying that that the fact that she then went to war and just started killing people left, right and centre. Mm. Like I know I know in Batman versus Superman, Batman killed people and people were pretty outraged by it. But mostly Batman in that film seeks to disarm unless, you know, whatever. But like it seems to be a thing that runs through these DC movies and that lots of innocent I don't know if you can call them innocent because they were soldiers, but I think so. I think it's fair. Lots of innocent people are killed by the supposed good guys, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But in this film, there was a lot of intentionally.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, Maybe. Which just felt... a ab- bit. I mean, Wonder Woman in the comics has killed people um, in the past. It's not new. It just... Um, I don't know. It kind of rankled a little bit but yeah so i mean i, I haven't really got anything else that i wanted to, to add about the film other than i liked it but as steve said it's not great if yeah it, if, if, i you got...
2: um, just that i loved it
0: time now for triple bill where we pick our uh, favorite three or three film from a certain topic this week given that we are doing this this women's special as sounds awful. Every time you say that, it sounds bloody I can't awful. I not say uh,
1: The women's special. We're giving women time on the podcast, aren't we? Great. It's essentially what it is, yeah. isn't
0: it? Uh, There's the, 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 no well, hiding uh, from it. We're, we're, we're talking about Wonder Woman, which was starring, uh, written and directed by women. And we're doing a triple bill based on films written and directed by women. So it is a women's yeah. sp- It just sounds pretty shit when you say it out loud. A
2: women's special. There you yeah, go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> If you can edit the
0: sarcasm out of my voice, then yeah. Oh god. Anyway, so this triple bill, we have picked our free. Uh, we have all picked three films written or directed by a woman. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Yes. In a nutshell. Yes. Didn't have to pick your favourite. You could
1: just pick any three, which is kind of what I ended up doing.
0: Okay. So why, why don't you start us off with your your first one, Owen?
1: Ah, uh, right. Okay. So as I say, I didn't pick my three favourites. I didn't. What I wanted to do was pick. Um, three films that I hadn't seen before that were either, were either written or directed by um, women. And so uh, I didn't want to include any re-watches, not films I'd seen before. Otherwise, my list would have basically been, like, from the start. It would have just been The Love Witch um, by Anna Billa. It would have been Mary Harron's American Psycho and Jen and Sylvia Soska's American Mary. There we go. That would have been it. Done. Um, but what I did was I pur- purposely went out and watched a bunch of um, films directed by women that I just either hadn't seen, hadn't heard of. I tried to find new things. And the first one that I'm going to talk about is, (laughs) it's called The Slumber Party Massacre, which is from 1982. And it doesn't immediately scream, like, a film directed by women from the title, right? The Slumber Party Massacre, a 1982 slasher film. Um, But it it was directed by uh, Amy Jones. I didn't know who Amy Jones was, I'll admit. So I looked at her IMDb and didn't recognise any other other handful of features that she's directed since 1982 either. But, to be fair, she's probably minted because she wrote a relatively successful series of films... Bearing in mind she wrote The Slumber Party Massacre. Well she didn't write, she directed The Slumber Party Massacre. She wrote Beethoven and its four sequels. <laughs> that's a that's a mix, isn't it? That's not that's not like a, a normal career path, I don't think. So yeah, she's probably well off anyway. But so the the plot of Slumber Party Massacre doesn't involve a, a, a dog at all. It revolves around a group of high school girls who like getting naked around each other a lot. That's what I learned. So whether they're in the showers at school, whether they're changing clothes at home, or just, you know, doing what all blokes of that age like to think girls get up to on their sleepovers, you know, getting naked in front of each other and stuff. There is a lot of of nudity in this. Actually, probably there's more nudity in this than I saw in Emmanuel in Space in 30 Minutes that's Plus, much you only watched 30 minutes of the bloody film. <laughs> 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 yeah. But um it's a short film anyway this it's about 17 minutes I think. Um, but so yeah these girls like getting stoned, they're like drinking and they like shagging their boyfriends basically. And on one of their uh drinking, smoking and shagging sleepovers that they have there is a mental hospital patient who's escaped and is going around killing loads of girls. With his big drill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it Its tagline is the ultimate driller killer thriller. Which is... Uh, I think I thought I'd throw in there. I don't have any comment either way. Of that. Um, if I didn't know that this was directed by a woman and written by a woman called Rita Maybrown, I, I think I might not really have given it that much thought. But... Uh, Because it's just like one of these churned out, you know, um, 50 of them a year that were produced in America kind of slasher films. But actually, there is something more to it, Um, probably because of who the killer is. Because he's got a big drill and it's basically a big dick. He basically goes around fucking all these girls. That's what he does. You know, he drills them with his massive drill and... The fact that he's also like a generic looking, you know, he, kill, he kills girls, but he's got no like standout qualities to him. He's got like no hockey mask. There's no like blood stained apron. Um, there's no red stripy jumper or anything like that. He's just a, big drill. a drill. Yeah, a big drill and double denim. That's what he is. He's just an American man. And I think that therefore probably gives it a bit more credit than I would have done if I didn't know who was behind it it just makes it a little bit more interesting i think like it's got a little bit more commentary to to make better uh because it's you know the women are scared of this bloke but they don't know who he is he's just a bloke uh, he's an older single-minded kind of powerful uh, and remorseless bloke who just goes around terrorizing girls i will say it, it it does kind of conform to a lot of conventions of slashers particularly sort of that 1980 well it's 1982 so that kind of era of slashers it very much follows those sort of formula for them for these kind of movies but i did really like it um ultimately it is just a slasher it definitely feels different um and i think the the difference comes from the perspective because it's so like askew compared to its uh, contemporaries um because normally you view it from like the killer's perspective right He's the one who goes around to all these houses. He's the one you're following. He's the one you're scared of. This is all from the girl's point of view, and there's just a guy with a drill who's going around killing lots of people. Mm. You see his face a couple of times, but it shows that it's ultimately unimportant. It's the idea that they're they're kind of scared of. So, yeah, The Slumber Party Massacre, 1982. First film down, and um, it was the first one that went onto the list. I thought I'm definitely, definitely picking this for the triple bill.
0: So, for the, the women's special, Owen picked a film called The Slumber Party Massacre featuring lots of naked teenagers in a big drill. Yes, mm. but that, like, I tried to hopefully clarify is the point. I'm just trying to simplify things for the listeners. No, thanks. Sorry. Yeah, that's good. Um, I picked three films of mine written by women and also tried to pick three very different films. Um, so, the first one I picked was... Reasonably recent film, just a couple of years old, and that was Room from twenty fifteen, written by Emma Donoghue, who uh, wrote the book and adapted the book into the film, which was then directed by Lenny Abrahamson. Um, I just found this film very, very gripping. Very, I know there's been lots of films about people who have been. Kidnapped or abducted before, but it just seemed very different. Perhaps because of the, the element of having the child in there, um, who was played mm-hmm. really well by Jacob Tremblay. But yeah, I just found it very different to that the usual kind of abduction or kidnapping film, a lot better than the usual type of film mm-hmm. in, in that genre. Just very, very gripping and um, interesting emotional and end. emotional. Obviously, it is a very difficult thing to adapt a book into a screenplay, um, perhaps easier if it's your own book, you're adapting, I don't know, but obviously a lot of people try to turn books into films and it and it fails quite miserably, but not in this case.
2: I think it's also really good because um the kidnapping part almost ends halfway through and then there's much more afterwards yeah and 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 I think that's what makes it different from other. Um, typical kind of kidnapped people films. Yeah. I really liked it. I, I, I mm. just sat there with my... I don't know. I just sat there in awe of the whole film. I loved it.
1: It is very kind of moving. And you're right. The, the upli- It's really uplifting in a weird sort of way. Yeah. yeah. Because they kind of discover life, don't they? They discover kind of happiness. and you think, Yeah. Oh, yeah. This kid is really happy to just have his hair cut.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like... Trying to explain <laughs> to people... Um, what the film's about makes it seem quite depressing. Mm. And then you're like, no, 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 it's much more than that. It, it's not just this horrible thing where you're going to sit there and bore your eyes out. It's more. Yeah.
1: Mm. It is more.
0: Yeah, but that was that was Room. And Maya, what's your first pick?
2: Um, my first pick, I'm going with um, a adaptation of a, a novel. And I'm going with, and um, Owen mentioned it earlier, Mary Howan's American Psycho. Ah, uh, um, yes. Absolutely... Loved Bret Easton Ellis', um novel. And then when I watched the film, I just thought it was brilliant. I just think Christian Bale is, is just... He plays the Wall Street banker, Patrick Bateman, really, really well. You know, there's so much social commentary in there. Um, I just think it's brilliant. And it's really, really funny. I watched it again um, the other night, and I forgot how... Much I laughed at it, you know I thought, oh my God, why am I laughing at some of these points? but they were brilliant. She's also um directed t v episodes I had a look at um on mary Harron's um i m d b page and she's done things like episodes in um the Fallen mm-hmm. and uh, Constantine as well, and i just i really do like, you know that's for me. It's one of the books. It's one of the films where the book and the film are both brilliant. Um, I know lots of people would disagree with me about the book being good, but I absolutely <laughs> yeah. loved both.
1: It's quite a controversial book as well, isn't it? Yes. With, I think with, I can't remember the, uh, the, the the bit of trivia exactly. I might be wrong, but I think Christian Bale's mom was a like staunch feminist who like went to protest demonstrations about the book oh wow <laughs> and then years later her son ended up starring in a remake of it oh a remake an adaptation of it which i always think is kind of a funny thing about it as well because the, the you know the kind of duality of the film is <laughs> replicated in a mom who's a staunch feminist who opposed the book and then her son became patrick bateman yeah it's just so work. good
2: i read christian bale was amazing in it and I did. I just sit there thinking, this is brilliant. I love it. And it's, and I yeah, I love the book as well.
0: Okay. Uh, So that was American Psycho. And your second choice?
1: My second choice is a film called Night Moves, uh, which came out in 2014. And uh, it's written and directed by Kelly Reichardt, who I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast um, in the past because she, directed Meek's Cut-Off, which is a Western uh, about the Oregon Trail, which I, I've mentioned quite positively because I think it's a really good film. Uh, but So Night Moves. I had this on DVD for ages. A friend bought it for me for Christmas, uh, the year before last, and it kind of stayed in the cellophane wrapping on the shelf. Even though I really liked Meek's Cut-Off, I just never got around to watching Night Moves. Um, for whatever reason. And, you know, when we were doing this triple bill, I kind of saw it as an excuse of, like, I I want to watch lots of films by directors I haven't seen before, uh, films I haven't seen before by female directors. This came off the shelf and was unwrapped, put in the DVD player, and I did really enjoy it. It follows the same kind of thing as most of Kelly Reichardt's stuff, from what I gather. It was the same with um, Meek's cut-off. Is it slightly... Difficult to get into It doesn't want you to just Jump straight in And go, oh yeah, this is fucking great It's it's very Much like trying to run across Nails um, the, Okay, so the, the story Well, I'll tell you who's in it first, I guess A few people pop in and out of the film But it's really only got three principal cast members uh, It's got Jesse Eisenberg It's got Dakota Fanning and Peter Sarsgaard And they are radical environmentalists and they plan to blow up a hydroelectric dam in protest at energy waste that goes on in the world. So it's really it's like an environmental film. That's kind of the themes in the background of it. But it is also a thriller. Um it's not funny at all. I don't think it tries to be funny. It's very dry. It's very slow and the whole process of it coming together is also quite naturalistic, right? It doesn't have lots of uh, orchestral scores going on in the background. Um, it's Everything that happens, happens within the kind of diegesis of the movie. Uh, it's all there. But I just think I, I really liked it for that. Because she made it so... I was going to say inaccessible, but that's not what I... It, because it's so um it's so indie for a start but it's it's almost like it wants you to earn the right to enjoy it (laughs) if you see what i mean so it's incredibly pretentious um but that's that's kind of how it feels and i think it's worth the effort because it's such a it's such a good film um it's a great film even i would say it's a great film i'm glad i have the dvd of it because i am definitely watching it again but this is not a popcorn munching thriller it's a it's a, a slow, hard working drama um which deals with consequences of your actions and stuff like that. That's what it's kind of about. Guilt, paranoia, um, the fallout of things that you do, the effect it has on people. Uh yeah. Whatever your your rationale, whatever your your means, whatever the altruistic good that you think you're doing things for there are consequences of your actions. And that's really what the film is about. So, Night Moves, that was, from 2014. Fantastic movie.
0: So, my second choice, then, is... um, I've picked three different genres as well. So, my second choice is The Babadook, a horror film from uh, 2014, written, um, sorry, screenplay by and directed by Jennifer Kent. And I remember seeing this in the cinema, and it is just really creepy and while it's the same as a lot of horror films it's a, it's a bit different as well it's very well put together very atmospheric uh, it's about basically um a demon or uh whatever you want to call it from a, a children's story but the mother's story but he reads a child called mr babadook and it is kind of a monster and it it manifests itself as to, to kind of haunt or, or attack both mother and daughter, uh, mother and son. Sorry, a lot of modern horrors, especially English language ones. Cause this is either from Australia or New Zealand, I can't remember which. Uh, uh, Australian, I think, but um, yeah, um, sort of they, they tend to be just sort of bog standard 15s, not overly pushing anything in terms of scares or atmosphere a lot of jump scares and just real by the books this one just seemed different and it just seemed uh, to have a lot more of a kind of a an impact you know it just seemed to be a lot creepier and darker I've
1: not seen that yet do did, did you think it was sc- I, I mean I think the one of the best things about it as a horror film is that it wasn't scary it wasn't,
0: it wasn't scary so much but it was definitely creepy it definitely had a kind of atmosphere to it it definitely built up quite well and you know but no it wasn't scary it wasn't like a film where you had jump scares jumping out of your seat but it yeah um
1: i think it's it's about it's a, it's a, it's as much as it's a scary film as it's a, i suppose intended to be i think it's actually about a kid who's too young to comprehend what his mom is going through yeah which is grief and that's that's the babadook it's a uh, a made up story for him to deal with what happens to his yeah. mom. And so I think it is a really intelligent film. It's very clever. Some people seem to hate it and I'm ne- I'm never sure why. They get some real stick from people online. Mm. If you ever look at like Letterboxd and reviews of it, it just yeah, I don't get it. I don't get why people hate it. It's a it's kind of a good psychological thriller.
0: Maybe they're expecting a a more traditional kind of horror film when they I don't know. Mm, um, maybe, anyway, that was the Babadook. My what's your second second film?
2: Um, my second choice is um, two thousand eight film Surveillance, directed by Jennifer Lynch. Um, is basically about two FBI detectives who uh, are called to investigate a series of really brutal murders. They all take place in a remote you know, the whole film basically takes place in the police station where they're interviewing witnesses and a story unfolds and it is such a good thriller and it was very creepy. Um, You know, it's got um, Bill Pullman in it who plays agent Sam Holloway and um, Julia Ormond who plays Elizabeth Anderson who's the other FBI agent and it just unravels into this complete mind fuck style thriller it is so good I'm, every time I watch it I just sit there with my mouth open thinking oh my god this is horrible <laughs> it makes you it's one of those ones that makes you sit there thinking what would I do if I was in that situation how would I get away you know what would I and it's it just makes you ask those questions which sometimes is not a good thing um but yeah Jennifer Lynch's surveillance and I think she's done things like Boxing Helena as well and Chained um, but I thought she was quite a good director to pick because I really, really like surveillance and I think it's um, a film that not a huge number of people have seen and I think it's one that you really do need to. It's not a slow burner. It's There are elements of paint by numbers when it comes to a thriller but it's done so well and the flashbacks into the story that the witnesses are telling and how each of the three stories or four stories kind of combine into the um the last act is just i think it's very very um tense
1: I've I've never seen it but from what I know and particularly the way you just described it then it's like um a, an updated version of Rashomon isn't it where people talk about the different do you know the film Russian
2: One? No, I don't know. Okay, Sorry.
1: so there's um, there's a famous Japanese film, uh, which was directed by Akira Kurosawa. And basically, lots of people tell the same story, but from their own perspective. And so everyone yeah. remembers things slightly different. And so there's no conclusive one truth. It's just about, you know, lots of different ways of remembering things similar to Um, that
2: i think that there is in in surveillance there is that one truth there is that one story but it's the background is how each of the characters get to that story and then Mm -hmm. you you find out a little bit about each of the the witnesses the people who survived um and you know there's lots of it that you are watching through interrogation cameras where you can see the screens and again it kind of adds to that intensity and just the way that um, the two FBI agents are played by Bill Pullman and mm-hmm. Julia Ormond are uh, very, very good. And the little girl, um, Ryan Simpkins, who plays Stephanie, she's fantastic. And again, having another kid in a thriller movie is always going to creep me out a little bit more.
1: <laughs> I've just seen that it had French Stewart in it as well. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Harry from Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I did. I went, I went, I know him from somewhere. Brooks was like, yeah. Third <laughs> Rock from the Sun. Ah, oh, yep, I know exactly who it is. There we go. Yeah, it's got Michael <laughs> Ironside in it as well as Captain Billings, which is quite quite Absolute. good. It's another Absolute. one. Exactly, you you know, it's his face and you recognise him, and you're like, well, I know him, it's all good.
0: <laughs> okay, that is the So, in your final choice...
1: Because I've picked two films that have been directed by... Women. I thought I'd, I'd try and find one that's... See if there's something a bit different about ones that are written by women but directed by men. And so I found The Hand That Rocks the Cradle from 1992, which I hadn't seen before. Have either of you seen this? No. No, no. okay. It's quite interesting because I thought I knew what it was about before I'd seen it. And actually, it was kind of different. So it's written by someone called Amanda Silver... Um, but like I say, directed by a guy, Curtis Hanson. It very much is a psychological thriller about a woman who... <laughs> oh, I'll go right to the start of the story to, <laughs> to begin with. You've, <laughs> you've got um, Annabelle Scioras, S- 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 whatever her name is. She basically plays a pregnant woman at the beginning of the film who registers with a new doctor's surgery... And the doctor tells her he wants to do a full physical examination of her because she's pregnant and she's new at the surgery. And so she says, okay. And he asks her to take her clothes off and get changed. And she does. She wears the the gown. And he, he takes advantage of his position and fondles her breasts and he then gives her an internal examination but before he does that he removes his rubber gloves and so it's really the most i mean i watched it and thought oh my god this is this is really horrible this is horrific and i'm not even a woman and i'm like this is this is fucking horrendous he's just basically fingering her on the table and so she has she uh, she runs out of the room afterwards after the examination and she's like clearly distressed and everything. She goes, this is all in the first like five minutes of the film. She goes back home. She tells her husband what happens. They report the guy. She, they report the doctor. And what happens is the report goes public and more women start to come out and say, oh, yes, he did the same thing to me. So it's like, so the start of it is, I thought, the fir- okay, the film is going to be about there's this woman who's been abused by a guy. That's what it is. That's what the story is going to be. And then, like, still within the first five minutes, he shoots himself in the head and he's dead. <laughs> I'm like, oh, right. OK, so is that resolved? What's happening now? What happens next is you see the doctor's wife, which is Rebecca de Mornay, uh, who plays Peyton or the wife of uh, Dr. Dr. Mott, who's John DeLancey, by the way. The doctor was John DeLancey. So I, was, I saw him in this and I was like, oh, great. I like John De- DeLancey. No, John DeLancey. What are you doing? <laughs> Fuck it. But, you know, so it goes back to this story now where Rebecca DeMone, as Peyton, as the doctor's wife, is also pregnant. She learns about what's happened to her husband. He's killed himself. His estate is held by the bank. They won't release any of the money to her because it has to go to all these libel suits she then miscarries and the baby dies and so the story then becomes one of revenge you get Peyton, who's the wife of the guy who abused another woman who is getting revenge on that woman and so i just thought this was actually really good i mean like i say it completely twisted around what i thought was going to happen and kind of what i thought the film was about Um, because it just, I mean, it's a little bit bunny boiler. It is a little bit like a bunny boiler story. She's in there and she's trying to take over and destroy their life, but in a really cruel and calculated way, which I guess is typically like associated with what women would be terrified of rather than men. Because what she starts to do is she like, this is like cuts forward to about nine months and she becomes the nanny. For the baby. Oh god. Yeah. So she's in the house, she's in the family, and she starts like breastfeeding the baby. So that the baby then doesn't want to be fed by its mum. Because she's always the baby's always been fed already. Um she tries to like seduce the husband. She she kind of plants these seeds of doubt into um Annabelle Ciora's mind that her husband's having an affair with her best friend, who's Julianne Moore, in what is, I think, Julianne Moore's first feature film. Um, She convinces them that the... Again, by just carefully manipulating the situation, that this guy who's from... Uh, he's kind of a bit mentally challenged, this fella. Ernie Hudson, you know, Winston from Ghostbusters. He's there. He helps to build the fence and paint the fence and stuff. But he's got, like, the mind of a nine-year-old. She convinces... Um, she convinces her that Ernie Hudson's character is touching up her other daughter. And she plants some like she plants her daughter's underwear in Ernie Hudson's toolbox, so he gets caught. It's really like properly like, oh my god, this is gripping. This is like this is terrifying, but it's all fraught. I think that's what was quite quite interesting about it. It's all these horrors that you would associate of if you were a mom and someone came into your life and what they were doing to you. And it's so fucking twisted. I liked it a lot. I really (laughs) liked it. It falters a little bit towards the end. Um, But I think it's really tightly plotted. It's kind of episodic because each thing that happens is told almost as like its own little story. It's got really tense opening. The performances in it are great, especially Rebecca de Mornay. Um, as Peyton I think she's she really plays this horribly manipulative woman really well I can see why it's got his reputation Um, it is a little bit trashy I think just a little bit just a a touch trashy Um, but again kind of plays on the whole idea of vulnerability and um, and stuff like that I thought it was great The Hand That Rocks the Cradle if you've never never seen it before and you think you kind of know what it is watch it it's really good really fun
0: yeah. Uh, that's the hand that rocks the cradle my final choice so i went for a comedy this time uh comedy written by Kate cannon who has also worked for the likes of, of 30 rock and a new girl um and that is pitch perfect now oh, <laughs> a lot of people probably wouldn't think pitch perfect would be the kind of film i would watch and you're probably right but it I wouldn't say it's one of my my girlfriend's favourite films, but it's one of those films that she can just watch over and over when she wants to watch a film that she's going to enjoy. Um, Probably like I do with Star Wars. Um, You know, that kind of enjoyable film. So she put it on one day and I watched it for the first time and I found it really funny. And, you know, the musical numbers in it aren't too bad. They're well choreographed, put together. I don't know how much... The writer of the screenplay had to do with that, but the actual film is actually really funny. Um, the sequel Not so much, um, which you also had the hand in there's a, there's a third film coming out this year as well I believe but no it's a really really funny film um, which some people might not expect or might not be thinking of when they go to watch it or not thinking not of watching it watching it at all
1: hmm.
0: no, I really it enjoyed make- it
1: it almost made my list of things to watch that i hadn't seen before if it yeah. was on netflix i probably would have i think pitch perfect 2 is on netflix yeah, it, which might, is, it might which be is directed on, by elizabeth banks
0: it might be on sky go uh,
1: okay i'm but yeah but it it almost made if it, if it would have been there i'd have, I would have watched yeah. all my bunch of films but um, yeah unfortunately,
0: No, it's it's, yeah. it's good fun i've mm. not seen it um, and my what's your final choice
2: i've gone for something a bit more lighthearted than my last two choices i've gone <laughs> for um um, Clueless Okay. <laughs> written and directed by Amy Heckling. Um, I think it is well not I think I know it is one of my favourite films and especially my favourite kind of chick flick type of film I'm not into chick flick style films often but I do like this one and this one is one that I will watch over and over and over again and laugh and giggle it's just brilliant it's a 1995 film about um, a little socialite teen called Cher, um, played by Alicia Silverstone, um, and she finds Brittany Murphy's tie phrases a little project to make over and teach her about being um, educated and being, you know, kind of more grown up than she actually is. Um, I, I love it because it. It just covers all the typical teen um, issues that you do see in those kind of films. You know, finding who you are, the coming of age, sex, stereotypes. Um, I love the bit, you know, it, it's it's a film that really started to comment on um, teenagers with mobile phones quite a lot. And it's very, very fitting now, I think, Um I think my favorite thing from clueless and it, and I I'm that sad that I've even watched the um special features I know it does have special features um but actually watched the special features on the language where um Amy Heckling actually made up as well as used some of the slang and colloquial terms um that you see in the film she uh she did a ton of research where she would collect um, loads of articles and books on colloquial language and teenage speak and slang um, and she actually created um, some words and phrases that they used in Clueless from scratch and from what, you know, from 50s I think a lot of it was from the 50s style. She used, she used the Flintstones, the idea of calling someone a Barney or a Betty and um, but I, I absolutely love it. It's one of my, I, I won't say guilty pleasures because I'm not guilty. I don't feel guilty ever watching it. It is just one of my ultimate, I love this film. And I don't think, at whatever age, I think I'm always going to love it. And, you know, the teenager in me just sits there grinning. You know, the bits where she describes every single, like, teenage group. The layabouts, the the rich kids, the, you know, the geeks in charge of the tv station and things like that just i love it it's it's so good i teach it quite often actually um when i get a chance any chance i get i will teach it i absolutely love it
1: and that was clueless so we also had some really great recommendations through on twitter actually we had um thomas at simi 41 suggested point break american psycho as well uh, Green Street as well. Uh, he says I love it. Okay, we also had he also recommended Blackfish and Monster, which is obviously by Patty Jenkins, uh, director of Wonder Woman. Brooker, uh, we of course we know Brooker. He recommended American Mary and uh, Dead Hooker in a Trunk from the Soska Twins, Truth or Dare from Tr- Jessica Cameron, which we reviewed a couple of weeks back. Um, you know Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and Near Dark, which I thought would come up more, but they didn't. Uh, also said The Babadook, he said Pet Sematary, uh, Punisher Warzone, also said Green Street and Point Break. Uh, he also said A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was also suggested by the Sudden Double Deep podcast, S- at SDD Film Podcast uh, on Twitter, uh, which is a great recommendation. I I, I I suggest people go out and track that down if they've not seen it already. It used to be on Netflix, I don't know if it still is. Um, Steve F, at Upper Tier Steve. On Twitter, suggested Wayne's World, which is great. Strange Days and Ravenous. Uh, Movies Now and Then, at Movies Now Then, on Twitter. Eve's Bayou, which I I hadn't heard of, but um, they said uh, it was one of Roger Ebert's favourites. It's a Southern American gothic tale with a flair for the mystical, which I thought sounded quite interesting. Um, Elab, at Elab49, suggested Hitchhiker is currently on Mubi. Uh, if that's any use, and the highest in my top one hundred, she said. So, fantastic. Don't know what that is, but I'm going to look into it for sure. And finally, we had Chris Wallace at Chris Wallace one two three of uh, Wiki Shuffle and uh, Goodnight Sweetcast fame. Um, I don't know what's happened to those podcasts, but anyway. So that, uh, he suggested uh, he said I have a soft spot for Jennifer's body. People might question my taste, and then highlighted Jack from, um, from week shuffle, uh, but lost boys ish eighties, cheesy strippers heels is my thing. So yeah, can't argue with those. So thanks very much for, for all your suggestions on Twitter.
0: Okay. To end the podcast, we're going to go, uh, with some recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going to go with something I have seen on Netflix, uh, new to Netflix. And that is the documentary titled Gascoigne about the enigmatic former England, Newcastle, Tottenham, and Lazio footballer Paul Gascoigne made by the same people who made the Amy Winehouse documentary, and um, a very interesting look at one of football's more colourful um, and troubled personalities.
1: Yeah, I think I reckon, I think I picked this a couple of weeks ago when it went on. Did you? When you... I think so, and I think you even said the same thing then, that it was a good documentary.
0: Ah, well, well, yeah, watch <laughs> it again. I, thought, I though. thought it was only new to Netflix this week from what I saw. I hadn't seen it on there before. Anyway, I don't listen anyway. to what you say often, do I say? <laughs> um, oh, what are you telling people to watch?
1: Um, on Thursday, uh, on Film 4, Thursday night slash Friday morning, 25 past midnight, is The Raid on Film 4. And then mm. on Friday evening at 1045 is the raid two, so over two days you can watch two of the best modern action films that have been made anywhere
0: there you go and
2: Maya, um, mine is on friday nights on five star 10 past 10 is uh neil blumkamp's mm. elysium
0: right so yes that is all for this week's failed critics podcast Except for Owen not remembering what we're doing next week.
1: Ah, oh, well, you say that, but next week is The Mummy, Steve. Ah. The first in the Universal Monsters extended universe, which is oh. a thing. Mm. Did you know that? I knew it was happening, yes. Mm. The Mummy with mm. Tom Cruise. Not um, as The Mummy. Well, we'll see, mm. maybe. Yeah. But it is the start of the Universal Monsters movie universe, or the old uh, Characters they had Dracula. Well, actually, I don't think they've cast a Dracula yet. But they've got um, Russell Crowe as Doctor Jekyll. I saw. Oh, interesting. Which will be quite. And interesting he's, and
0: he's in the mummy, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, yeah. So, yes, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I think Frankenstein monster.
1: That was J- Javier Bardem.
0: Yeah, let's get that right. Not Frankenstein. Frankenstein monster. Or someone will be
1: that's on Twitter.
2: Right. Yeah, he's not Frankenstein. Frankenstein monster. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to tell you that,
0: but I will now. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah was, they've got werewolves or something, probably. They've cast
1: someone else, but I'm, I can't remember who. Oh, it, Johnny Depp is, um the Invisible Man. They need to bring in the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's the best one.
0: Mm. Uh, so anyway, yes, that's, that's next week. So thank you all for listening. Um, head over to the website. Owen's got his review of Wonder Woman on there, which is well worth a read, as well as other stuff. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>
1: Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with contributions from different guests every week with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com from the track The Bandit, remixed by James Yule, who you can find at jamesyule.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Critics on iTunes and all good podcast apps. Or you can check us out at failedcritics.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. And why not check out our sister podcasts, Character Unlock, and Bill the Mullinger's Underground Nights from the failed media network of podcasts. Thanks for listening.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.